From a Midwest gardener, this has grown to be my favorite garden podcast, down to earth, loaded with real life plant knowledge, generously fertilized with humor and their love of literature. Dee and Carol produce loads of fun, wonderful tips and spontaneous smiles. Thank you, Midwest gardener. Thank you very much. And welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. How is your garden? Hello, Dee. My garden is sunny and chilly. I don't think we're above freezing yet. 30 degrees. 48 here. Nice. It feels like forever since I've talked to you since we pre-recorded a bunch of episodes so you could go on a big vacation and now we're back. And so (laughs) here we go. Yeah, I'm out of practice. I'm completely out of practice, but I'll do my best. So it looks to me like something happened in your garden. Well, in your garage. Well, several things. Yes. So remember the last time we spoke, I was going to have to replace my lawnmower because the handle broke. Right. But I got to looking at it and I realized just this lower piece had broken off, which was an $8 part I was able to order online. So for good measure, I bo- ordered both lower parts and fixed it in about 10 minutes. And so it's humming along and my mower and I are happily mowing and picking up leaves and it's a wondrous thing. So do you mow up your leaves and then um, shred them? Is that what you do with them or what do you do? They shred, the mower shreds them enough and then I just use them in whatever state the mower coughs them up. And I have cut back my figs. Those things were monstrous this year. Mm-hmm. I cut them back and I've got them layered and I've got all the zinnias pulled out. There's still a couple of piles that I may haul back my little chipper shredder thing, which is the envy of every gardener because you cannot buy them. It was a demo unit I got like 10 years ago. This thing is amazing, but I might chip up some of those and, you know, or they might just lay there till spring. I don't know. But guess what? It was so warm last week. Guess what I did? What did you do? I put up all my outdoor Christmas lights. Mm. It's the earliest I've ever put them up and I'm, and I'm lighting them up too. I'm not waiting until after Thanksgiving to turn them on. Yeah. Um, we got part of ours put up and we're still waiting to get the rest of them, but we got started because Lord knows we need the light this year. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was 60 that one day and it's like, it wasn't going to be 60 for a long, long time. And I thought I, I should do that while it's nice out. And so it, really is cheery to see the lights and half my neighborhood is lit up with Christmas lights already. So it's like, I'm not the first one. No, I see on Instagram, people are putting up their trees. It's still a little early for me, but that's okay. Guess what I did last week. I want to know what you did last week. I actually did this two days ago. I planted amaryllis and paper white bulbs. And as you know, I don't like Ziva. Right. But I do like the ones that don't smell so much, like Inball, Early Cheer, which I could not find this year. I love Early Cheer because it's double, Aerial, and Winter Sun. And so if people want to read my blog post on non stinky paper whites, we'll link to it. Um, I've written a lot of blog posts about going, growing bulbs indoors, and I might write again about it, but I might not because 
I've kind of said all I have to say. That's true. Here's the old blog post. I got nothing new. I've, I did stop watering all my amaryllis bulbs in September. And I looked at them the other day and I thought, okay, it's time to start watering them again. And some of them, I don't know. I'm going to water and see what happens. Did you put them in the closet? No, I just left them there in the sunroom, but without water. Oh, everyone I know says you're supposed to put them in the closet. Does it work when you don't? Well, let's think about it. I cut back all the foliage, so they didn't have any foliage. So putting them in a closet. Right. They had nothing to. It doesn't matter. They don't have any foliage. Yeah. I guess some people just think you're supposed to put them in the dark. But as you point out, in their natural habitat, they wouldn't be in the dark. They'd just die back and then come back. So I'll be interested to see how successful you are. I threw mine in the trash. I only had one. Uh And I, I just looked at it and I thought, I am sick of you. Goodbye. So it went away. So the other thing is, look behind my shoulder there. What do you see? I The left shoulder, I see a plant in your uh, window. Do you see a new plant? I, I can't tell that it's a new plant. It's green and white. No, no, behind that plant. Oh, the tall green one. I didn't see it. Okay. What about it? It's a bird of paradise. Oh, wow. That's cool. I've never owned a bird of paradise. I've only seen them in like greenhouses or when I was in Hawaii a thousand years ago. Well, they, it, that's a south window, as you can see the sun streaming in. And I thought, I, I need one because I went to the garden center and I was actually looking for Itty Bitty Houseplants, which is the book we talked about. A couple of weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> or this week. I don't know. So I went looking for Itty Bitty Houseplants. And I came back with a bird of paradise that could get up to six feet tall. Wow. Okay. I'm not really sure. Okay. Anyway, shall we do the quote? We should do the quote. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes a fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. J.R.R. Tolkien. I love that quote. Well, I pick that. I don't know. Not all those who wander are lost is the piece of that quote that everybody, you know, you see it on pillows and right. signs and different things. And so that is the full context of the quote. And I just thought it would be kind of fun. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's, I, that must be in the first book of the trilogy, but I, we didn't go that far to look it up. So our flower topic this week are St. John's warts, because I don't think we've ever talked about them. We might have once long ago. And we're too lazy to go look it up to see if we did. We just can't remember. So we're going to talk about them. It's We've got four years of topics. It's impossible to keep up with them all. So those are hypericums and there are a bunch of different varieties. And I grow at least, I know I grow at least two, I think three, I grow three. One died though, in that big storm we had last year, Yes. It died because it in the ice storm, it split in half and water got down into the roots before I could fix the problem. And it just, it died. But that was one that was a shrubby type. And there are some that are really shrubby. And then there are some that are not so much. They're more soft. And I have both or had both. So. Well, I, I have one St. John's ward out in the garden and I'm pretty positive. It's the proven winner variety called Sunny Boulevard, huh? which is a hybrid because I don't think I bought one. So I'm guessing that proven winners sent it to me. Probably. 
But the most common one that people see at the garden centers around here is one called Hypericum frondosum, which is sunburst is the variety name. Right. And it is a selection of a native, that is a native species. Right. And I think of the three that I grew, I grew a native one. And then I, I grew two that were selections of natives. And I didn't go out there and try to find their tags. But I'll just say this. If you live in Oklahoma and you can find a St. John's wort, go on and buy it. Most of them are hardy here. The two that you talked about are hardy to zone five. They are beloved, beloved by uh, bumblebees and other bees yes. too. But bumblebees, there is nothing cuter than a big fat bumblebee on a hypericum bloom because they just dance around that bloom because it has that little starburst. Yes. And I did do some looking up about St. John's wort because honestly, just I've gotten these shrubby St. John's worts and I planted them. And I found out that it's called St. John's wort because it generally starts blooming around the 24th of June, which is the feast day of St. John the Baptist. That's yes, because my old church, we always celebrated it. It's the day before Bill's birthday. And then the other thing I found out this from the Missouri Botanical Garden is the genus name Hypericum comes from the Greek word hyper, meaning above, and econ, meaning picture in reference to the practice of hanging flowers from this genus above images, pictures, or windows, which I didn't really know that. Oh, gosh, I didn't know that either. That's interesting. So it must refer to the fact that it's St. John's wort and it celebrates St. John's Day. And the hypericums are also used for uh, depression. And you can buy it. It's a native, you know, like a natural supplement you can take. But if I'm remembering right, it can also make you um, light sensitive. So like with all things, before you take something, investigate it. Exactly. And before you plant something, that's a good segue into Hypericum perforatum, which is the perennial herb, which is probably where they're getting some of those um, um, supplements from. Yes, I'm sure it is. So this is considered a noxious weed in the Midwest with a big fat do not plant slapped over it at the Missouri Botanical Garden website. And I'll link to that. Oh, that's interesting. And I think that is true because I think I did plant some seeds of this and I'll see seedlings of it coming up in various places and I'm constantly pulling it out. So I think they're right. It can be a noxious weed. Yeah, I've never, ever, ever grown that one. So I can't say anything, but if it does, if it says that in, in the Missouri Botanical Garden, don't plant it in Oklahoma either because if it's bad there, and in the upper Midwest, it's going to be really bad here. Yeah. And it's not a native anyway. It's native to like Europe and Asia. Yeah. Plant the natives. They need all of the little creatures need the native ones anyway, or the selections of natives. Those work too. And there is a, there is another native. So we said that the, the Hypericum frondosum sun, sunburst and then the Sunset Boulevard are hardy to zone five. Right. If you're in zone four, I found that um, Missouri Botanical Garden list. Hypericum calmianum, commonly called calm St. John's wort, and that's with a K. Uh-huh. And that is one that is native to the Great Lakes region and typically occurs in rocky, sandy soils and would be hardy to zone four. I don't think you're going to find that one here, but yes, if you live that far north, plant that one. Yes. And so as with everything, when you don't really know much about it, do your homework before you just buy it. I 
I you can't assume that people aren't going to sell Hypericum perforatum, the perennial herb, because it's a noxious weed. Right. So if you're not familiar with a plant, this is like any plant. And this is something we sometimes don't do like we should. <laughs> Find out about it. I'm better than I used to be. For one thing, I just don't have that much space anymore. And so I have to be really careful what I put where. In fact, I didn't replace yeah. the hypericum I lost because honestly, it had kind of outgrown its area. And so when it died, I was like, well, that's sad and left it at that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have two more. I did find out that this is in some weird, and I, I guess I didn't leave it in the show notes. Um, it's in a plant family that I have now forgotten and that I cannot remember. So we shall move on to the next quote. I think you put it in here, didn't you? There you go. It's hyper, hyper IACAE. Hyperaceae, and it's got cherry yellow flowers. So I have never heard of that either. No, and I I think there's basically this this genus Hypericum and one other is all that's in that plant family. One of those small families. Yeah, based on DNA, probably. Probably, which is dumb. All right, you're up for the next quote. Keep high the board with plenteous cheer and gather to the feast and toast the sturdy pilgrim band whose courage never ceased. That's by Alice W. Brotherton. I have no idea who that, who she is, but I like it. I don't either. I do too. It's the feast. Vegetable topics in the wintertime have been tough for us. So we are going to, on this week of Thanksgiving, talk about the favorite vegetables from the garden that we are thankful for. And there's so many of them and they're all, and these would be ones that are from, that we would might maybe serve at Thanksgiving, although not in their like normal, you know, does anybody eat any normal vegetables or normal preparations on Thanksgiving? Not really. We lather them up and slather them up. Yes. You, you have sweet potatoes listed and you said not candied. Yeah. I don't like candied sweet potatoes at all. We either do the sweet potato casserole or we just do sweet potatoes. I love sweet potatoes by themselves with just a little butter. You know, I can take them or leave them. I, I mean, I don't seek them out, but if somebody serves one, I eat it. How's that? There was a really good email I got from the salad. I think it's called the salad authority and I'm doing this off the cuff, but she actually looked into what salads you might have that you could actually make for Thanksgiving. And she actually brought up, I'm looking for the deal, but I can't find it right now because, you know, way too many things. But she was talking about watercress because she was thinking about stuff that could have been grown at the time. And that's native over in that part of the world where Thanksgiving started. Sure. So watercress would be another one. So she used watercress um, and winter squash. And then uh, put in the part about, um, oh, what are those things called in pomegranates? I can't remember. It's like Purell's or something, pomegranate seeds. Right. She said, now those, she goes, those wouldn't have been used back then, but she goes, it's my, it's my deal, my newsletter. So I can do what I want. That made me laugh out loud. So there was that. And I think uh, that maybe some corn, she's corn in it. So carrots. Yeah. You think about the pilgrims would have had vegetables that were easily winter stored, which would be like carrots and sweet potatoes and winter squash, but they probably didn't have potatoes yet because I don't know if, I don't know if potatoes had made it that far yet, but 
you know, what do I know? I'm not an, I'm not an authority on Thanksgiving, but we're going to talk about potatoes because they can be stored a long time. And think about what we eat in the winter, you know, cabbage, potatoes, uh, cornmeal, because most of the corn that was grown at the time was not sweet corn. In fact, I doubt if there was any sweet corn. I bet it was all for cornmeal. Probably. Denton corn. Probably. You know, and the only reason that the that they had any corn at all would have been because of the natives, because they, um, they already grew it. We knew that. And then um, green beans from your garden, if you froze them. And I did freeze some green beans. Or canned them. But you did. For green bean casserole, it's got to be the French style green beans lathered with the mushroom soup with the crispy onion rings on top. So my husband won't eat French style green beans, but he likes the Del Monte canned green beans and they have to be Blue Lake, which we've talked about here on before. And so I sent my daughter home. They're really hard to find now. He likes the whole green beans. He doesn't like the cut up ones and the little bitty ones, and he doesn't like French ones. And so I sent my daughter, my daughter's making it and I sent it home with her and I sent her some gluten-free soup. And then I sent her the cans of green beans because I pick them up at the store whenever I see them because those are what he likes. I think they're kind of ick, but that's just me. I got to tell you, he sounds like he's a bit of a green bean snob. He's a total green bean snob, but it's funny because he's a canned green bean snob, but he does like, he likes them fresh too. And my kids are real green bean snobs because I grew green beans and, you know, would serve them. And they're like, those are the only green beans we want to eat. And I'm like, well, in summer, that's great. Yes. And then I, I'm going to leave a link to a blog post I wrote. And I looked this up. I wrote this post in 2010, but it was Thanksgiving dinner topics for gardeners. And one of them was Uh sweet potatoes and potatoes are not in the same plant family as we have talked about probably quite a bit. Sweet potatoes are in the morning glory family, convulaceae, and potatoes are in the solanaceae family along with peppers and tomatoes. Which is the nightshade family. That's why when they, that's why green potatoes, you shouldn't eat the peeling because when they come to the surface and the sunlight hits them, they turn green and that's not good for you. So you shouldn't eat those. (laughs) Always interesting, right? It is. I mean, think about how interesting vegetable gardening really is. And here's another thing that the last vegetable we'll talk about is Brussels sprouts which people are shocked when they go to the store this time of year and they see that long stem and the Brussels sprouts are still on the stem and they're like, yes. that's how those things grow. <laughs> they have no idea. Yeah. And I always wonder if, if the ones on the stem like that, that you buy at the store that have been sitting in storage, I wonder if it's like carrots when the fronds are still on the carrots and it pulls some of the sugar out of the carrots. You should always buy carrots that are already trimmed, even though the others are really, really pretty. They won't be as sweet. And I wonder about Brussels sprouts. Does it pull some of the energy out of the Brussels sprout? I don't know the answer to that question. I have no idea. Probably one of our listeners does, and they might tell us. I'm not a big Brussels sprouts fan. Is this a big surprise? I love them, but I'm unusual. You know, if you saute them with a bit of bacon, a lot of bacon, I would eat them. Well, yeah. Yeah. And there's this like dressing you can put on them after you've done all that. And oh my gosh, they're so good. So, so let's, before we get ourselves too hungry, cause it is before lunchtime. I'm starving. Yeah. 
Anyway, we are thankful that we are gardeners and we can have produce from our gardens on our Thanksgiving table. Yes. I shall do this next quote. There will always be roses, which is from the film Mrs. Miniver, 1942. And it's noted on in the book that we're talking about this week, which is by any other name, A Cultural History of the Rose by Simon Morley. We've talked about Mrs. Miniver before. And we've talked about the movie and we've both watched it and it's a really sad movie, but a good movie. It is. And the book is for rose lovers everywhere. So if you have a rose lover on your list, that'd make a good Christmas gift. Yes. It just came out November 9th and you and I got what's called an advanced reader copy. Yeah. So, and we were able to go through this. And so here's the thing. This book does not teach you how to grow roses. But it will teach you how to love roses and it'll show you how roses have pervaded all types of history and culture. Uh And so he did a ton of research. So if you want to talk about the rose family in general and then its use in paintings and movies and pagan rituals and monks monks and you know death ritual i mean this thing is loaded with information i have not gotten completely through it i will confess no i have not either but you want to hear my theory about monks and roses i do okay so monks grew originally grew gardens for medicinal purposes and to feed themselves but especially for medicinal purposes and I think that they missed flowers because most medicinal herbs have very small flowers that are kind of inconspicuous, except for the rose. And the rose is also considered an herb, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's when monks started to name plants for the Virgin Mary and for Jesus and for St. Joseph, because I think they wanted to grow those plants in their gardens. And if they did it as a teaching tool, See, then they could bring those in. And they say that one of the first things they brought in were roses because they're related to apples and they already had apple trees. And then roses came over and then remontant or repeat flowering roses came from China. And then people started to hybridize them. Right. So all of a sudden they had roses that would repeat flower, not just flower once in spring. And they named roses the queen of the flowers. And they named it as Mary's, it's her most important symbol, the Blessed Mother's most important symbol. So I really have a theory that they wanted flowers and this was a good way for them to have flowers. And then, of course, you can use roses in all kinds of things. Oh, yes. And I'll read this from the description we got of the book. Today, the rose enjoys unrivaled popularity across the globe, ever present at life's seminal moments. Yeah. And goes on to say, grown in the Middle East 2,000 years ago for its pleasing scent and medicinal properties, like you said. Mm-hmm. It has attached itself to us, its needy host and servant. We are its host and servant now. Oh, we are that, yes. They become one of the most adored flowers across cultures. The rose is well-versed at enchanting human hearts, no longer selected by nature, but by us through that. Mm-hmm. It's been that way for a long, long time. I mean, we, we have been, we have done lots and lots of things to the rose. It's like a show dog. From Shakespeare's sonnets to Bulgaria's Rose Valley, to the thriving rose trade in Africa and the far East via museums, high fashion, Victorian England and Belle Epoque, France. I probably 
didn't say that right. We meet an astonishing array of species and hybrids of remarkably different provenance. It's very interesting. It is. It's a great book. And I think if you have someone in your life who loves roses, it would be a perfect Christmas gift. And if you just want to learn about roses and learn about the history of them and how we created repeat flowering roses and, and how, gosh, English roses became a thing because people didn't want to just have hybrid teas anymore. I mean, it really, it it's a good book. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of rose culture and I'll say roses in culture, not rose culture. Yes, that too. Rose culture and in culture. There you go. They represent so many things and they're really, really important And in fact, when I was in Lisbon, I think it was in Lisbon. Yes. In Lisbon, there was no, it was actually in Sintra in Portugal. The rose is really important in Portugal for many reasons. Part of what, part of the reason why is that one of the palaces we went to, which was the national palace, they had painted ceilings because it was a really old Uh um, place and they were flat ceilings that were painted. And our guide said, well, the reason they picked the pink rose to put in this is because the king wanted to honor his wife, who was of the Lancaster family. And I was like, oh, that's not right in my head. Yeah. But the pink rose, the pink rose actually represents um, the war, the war, war of the roses. It was between the red roses and the white roses. And I can't remember whether white is Lancaster or red is the other family. But when the Tudors came in, they made the rose layer on top of each other and then it became pink. But she thought she was telling, yeah, anyway. So it was hard not to say anything, but I kept my mouth shut because I hate being that kid. Yes. You know? Yes. So this is the book is by any other name, a cultural history of the rose by Simon Morley. It came out November the 9th. It's in paperback. And uh, yeah, it's a great if you love history and art and culture. This is a great book, especially if you also love roses. And if you didn't love roses before, you will love them after you read it. And God help you if you do. Okay. You want me to do the next quote? I do. My green thumb. Well, first of all, I have to ask you, do I have to shout this? Cause it's in all in caps. No. Okay, good. No, it just copied over as all caps. And I was too lazy to make it un all caps. I gotcha. Well, I wouldn't have either. My green thumb came only as a result of the mistakes I made while learning to see things from the plant's point of view. That's by H. Fred Ale. And he's absolutely right. Now, now do it shouting. No, I'm not doing it shouting. <laughs> so our dirt. D, I read the funniest article. I think I sent you a link. But a couple in New Zealand were digging potatoes and they dug up what they think is the world's largest <laughs> potato. Over 17 pounds. Holy moly. (laughs) We'll put a link because this is one gigantic potato. And they gave it a name, Doug, because it was dug out of the ground. And they even made a little cart to wheel it around as they showed it all over the place. (laughs) Doug has his own cart. (laughs) Doug looks like he could be like a a creature. I just looked him up. It's kind of creepy. It is kind of creepy. It is. I have never seen anything like it. And the word on the street is that they were going to use it to make a potato vodka at some point. You wouldn't eat Doug. No way. No way. You can't name a potato and then eat it. That's just not possible. I like the picture of it in the Tonka truck. That's funny. That is funny. (laughs) Now, I once dug up a potato that looked exactly like Winnie the Pooh, but it didn't have the 
I mean, it pales in comparison to Doug. Let's just face it. Yeah, Doug is huge. And I, I don't know. I just think it's funny that pe- that we measure these things. And I don't know. But it's oh, funny. Don't go down. I'm not going to talk about this rabbit hole. But the largest vegetables of every type, there's you can find all kinds of yes. crazy stuff about how big these vegetables are. Now, if you set out to grow a gigantic potato, it's probably not going to happen to be 17 pounds. But anyway, it's just fun. And and uh, you'll never look at your pile of mashed potatoes the same again after you see Doug. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dirt. That's our dirt. And then now we have our rabbit holes. So you discovered that the proof that every rabbit hole ends in a garden. How so? Every rabbit hole ends in a garden. So first of all, we should tell our listeners, Minding my beeswax one afternoon, I get this text from Dee that says, I got a rabbit hole from you. Check my calendar, check my plan, stop everything. Dee's got a rabbit hole. Now she sends this text from an airplane over the Atlantic Ocean. I did. I was watching the show. How that works. How that works, nobody knows. But anyway, you sent me to see a documentary called The Booksellers on Amazon Prime. I loved it, Dee. I loved it. I knew you would. I knew you would. It was kind of awesome. And I only got three quarters of the way through it because we landed. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) You got to go finish it. But these are people that deal in the antiquarian book trade, primarily based in New York City, which for decades was, uh, let's just say it, it was a man's world. Now, a lot of younger women are actually starting to get involved. Yeah. And let's face it. They said that the digital world not, you know, that books are so easily digitized, but books are so easily found is kind of take away the hunt aspect of it where Mm -hmm. it's the same problem with antiques because you can just go on eBay and find it, you know, it totally ruined flow blue China, for example, this is the same problem. And the first half of the movie is a little depressing, but then it's just, it gets kind of interesting, but there's, it it talks about the Rosenbox, which were these two brothers And one of them in particular, Dr. A.S.W. Rosenbach, was a renowned dealer in these antiquarian books out of Philadelphia. Yeah. And he helped stock rare books into libraries like the Folger and the Huntington. And, of course, he had this fabulous Mm -hmm. personal collection. Anyway, long story going even longer. They set up like a foundation or a program, whatever. And so their, their house or whatever it was in Philadelphia is now this Rosenbach library where you can go see some of their rare stuff, stuff he didn't want to sell. Right. Right. All the things they couldn't part with are in this library. So you can go and see it. And that is just cool. It is. And they have the only surviving copy of Benjamin Franklin's first Poor Richard's Almanac. Wow. And they have the original manuscript of James Joyce's Ulysses, which James Joyce wanted back. And he's like, no. You're not getting back. And then the one brother did the books. The other one was into all kinds of antiques and things. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm looking up about this, the Rosenbach library. And guess what I discovered, Dee? What did you discover? They opened a garden there in, I think in the 20, 2020, they opened up a brand new garden where they have put in all kinds of plants and native flowers and things that are specifically tied to different works of literature. So they have works or gardens based on William Shakespeare, Emily Dickinson, 
uh, somebody named Alice Dunbar Nelson, Paul Lawrence Dunbar, I don't know the Lewis Carroll, and somebody named Marion Moore. Marion Moore. I think she's a poet. She is. And they they took the entire collection of her Greenwich Village living room and it's on display in this in the Rosenbach. Wow. So they must really love Marion Moore's poetry. I'll have to look it up. Um, I thought that that was really, really, really cool. That was one of my favorite things that I watched while I was traveling. Yeah. So it's the booksellers on Amazon Prime. If you have an Amazon Prime uh, subscription, you can watch it for free. If not, I think it's like $3.99 to rent, but it's totally fascinating. I will watch it again at some point. So I'm not going to talk about my rabbit hole that I put on here. I'm going to put it next week because that was a big rabbit hole. And we both went down there. That's a teaser. Yeah, it's a teaser. So garden commissions, garden commissions. Um, I'm going to keep the plants in my greenhouse watered. That is a full-time job. You have to water them every other day or they dry out and then they die. Um, The time to take cuttings is basically over in Oklahoma unless the plant's perennial. But if it's perennial, you could probably still do it because we still haven't had a sustained long freeze like for a week or more. And then make sure the rest of your garden isn't dry. As long as we are above 40 degrees, plant roots are growing. And so you should make sure you water your garden occasionally. And then I'm just going to check on my bees for their winter patties when I have a warm day, just because sugar syrup doesn't work anymore. It's too cold in the morning and it doesn't heat up enough. So now I'm using these things called winter patties. You can also use something called fondant, but we don't really have that here. They have that in England. That's my, that's my garden commission. Not much. Not much going on here. Like I said, the, I could clean up the zinnias that are laying on the garden bed and I probably will mow if the weather's decent just to pick up a few more leaves to put on the vegetable garden. And uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to start watering my amaryllis or get that situation sorted out, but I'm also Mm going to, I got some new microgreen seeds from botanical interest and I'm going to sow those for the winter. And we'll link to those on our affiliate link. Yes. The microgreen seeds. And I think that is it for this week's episode. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Word of mouth. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that part. (laughs) Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. Carol's going to do my part too. (laughs) Just keep going, Carol. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.